Uh, for the five of you who don't know me or who Debbie Churchill hasn't told about uh, you about me, I'm Jeremy Churchill, as Josh said, uh, married to Anne, my lovely bride of nine years, uh, just this past week. Uh, we have a nine-month-old Anderson who is in the nursery this morning. He keeps us super busy. And as Josh said, I'm a recovering student ministry worker. Pray for your folks uh, who are in children and youth ministry. They need all the prayers that they can get. Um, I am a full-time seminary student. That's just a fancy word for saying I'm studying to become a pastor. Um, I'm at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is out of California, doing an online program there. Um, mostly recorded uh, lectures, uh, but a lot of face-to-face -face Zoom kind of stuff. Um, and I am going to be a Presbyterian pastor so yes, uh, as some folks have already said, Presbyterian pastors can speak at Keystone, apparently. Um, just know that we uh, Presbyterians have that title, a frozen chosen, so I'm not going to be quite as out there as maybe what Josh is on a typical Sunday morning, but I think it'll be good. Um, when I was thinking about what word to bring this morning, um, we've been working w uh, through a book with a local church back home in Cornelius, which is just outside of Charlotte called um, My Heart, Christ Home. Um, it's a book by a pastor, Robert Munger, and he talks about after we accept Christ into our heart and the transformation that happens through that salvation, that there's more transformation to come. And so he likens our heart to different rooms in the house. So he talks about the study, right? That's the way our mind works with our heart. He talks about the dining room, right? That's the appetites and desires of our lives. Um, and there's this continual transformation that he talks about. Um, and I thought it would be good to kind of build on a little bit of what I've been reading here and uh, reading in the book of Romans. And based on this book, I kind of found myself uh, looking at Romans 12. And so we're going to eventually get to Romans 12 here in a minute. Um, but before we do, I've got a question. Have you ever thought about whether it would have been easier to have been a Christian back in the time of Jesus. Has that thought ever crossed your mind where you go, man, if I lived when Jesus lived and when he was actively teaching, it might have been easier to be a Christian than it is today. Well, that thought came to me while reading scripture recently, uh, but it was only a fleeting thought because I go, you know what? Those folks back then probably dealt with the same kinds of stuff that we deal with today. Uh, some examples would be they probably gossiped, just like we do. So think about how after the church potluck happens today or, or whatever day you've got one, and then you can't wait to get in the car and call your friend and complain about that macaroni salad that Susan brought. It's undercooked, it's underseasoned. Why would she bring such a dish to the potluck? Maybe you've been on the receiving end, or maybe you've made that call before. Or what is Watergate salad? Why would somebody bring something called Watergate salad? I think that's something that mom used to make growing up um, that I never parta uh, partook of. Folks in Jesus' day probably did something similar. You don't think that people didn't lie back in the time of Jesus? Well, I liken it to when uh, I tell Anne that I'm going to the Circle K to get some gas, right? That's the gas station just up the road from us. And so I drive there at night. But while I'm there, what I don't tell her 
is that I go in and get one of the most life-changing Circle K donuts that they have at the gas station. Turns out, we talked about this earlier, she knows. I thought I hit it well, I don't. I even wipe the crumbs off my beard and get the glaze out of it. Like, I do it all, but she, she somehow, she still knows. Um, right, people have lied since the Garden of Eden. They're gonna lie till the end of time. They lied during the time of Jesus. And you don't think that the time, that this time today is divisive? That the culture we live in is divided? Well, the culture back when Paul was writing to the Romans, it was just as divided. And the book of Romans is actually written to two different groups of Christians. You had a group of Christians who were Gentiles. They didn't grow up with the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't grow up with those teachings. They didn't grow up with those traditions. What they did was they just started doing ministry and living in a Christian way how they knew. And then you had the Jewish Christians. Those were the ones that had gotten kicked out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius. But now they're starting to come back, and those Christians, the Jewish ones, are trying to reorient themselves, reassimilate into what Christian culture is. But it doesn't look the same, right? Things are not how they've always been done, and that scares them a little bit. Does that not sound a little bit like our church and our culture today, where we've got this divisive culture that will drive a wedge between us over some of the most trivial things? I mean, things like us being Christian or those folks that are atheists. Think secular culture versus religious culture. Think political left or political right. Think about people who like Duke or State or Carolina, right? Our college teams even divide us. And our churches, they're no different, right? Churches deal with divided segments just like the time of Romans. One of the biggest hot-button issues right now is homosexual marriage versus traditional marriage. Now, a lot of churches, a lot of denominations, the one that I'm looking to be a pastor in, we've made the decision which way we're going. But if you read the news at all, you know the United Methodist Church, they're still dealing with this. They're still quarreling internally about which way they're going to vote. Think about uh, the old contemporary worship music, right? You've got an amazing worship team up here, right? You can give them a hand. They're amazing. Versus the old traditional hymns, right? We know that age-old debate. You can do both, and I think that this team does it fairly well. Maybe you've heard about this term, the deconstruction of faith. I'm not going to go into it, but there's lots of great articles online. Relevant Magazine Christianity Today have great articles online about what this deconstruction of faith is. There's so much within the church and church's culture that is dividing us. And the Apostle Paul, he knew that back then it was divided, and the spirit writing through Paul knew that the world was going to be divided moving forward. So that's why when he wrote these words in Romans 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, Paul knew that it was meant just as much for us as it was for those Romans back in the 50s A.D., so let's hear God's word today. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Living or uh, the NIV translation, um, starting with verse number one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your one true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to each of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being with us today, for your spirit filling this room. We just ask that this word speak to our hearts, Lord, in a way that it may not have before. God, we've heard this passage over and over again. And God, we just pray that you can speak to us in a new way. You can bring something to light that can help us live more on fire for you. God, it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. I believe that Paul was. He was warning the Romans back then. He's warning us today that the way in which we live and the culture in which we surround ourselves with can get in the way of total heart transformation. Right? That's what we're looking for as Christians. We get that when we accept Jesus, but it's a continual transformation that happens. And if you didn't guess it, we're going to focus on one key verse today, and that's Romans 12, 2. So let me read that one more time. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says that if we do not conform to the patterns of this world, that we will be transformed. And you might be thinking when you heard this verse, right, if we're talking about heart transformation, but in that verse, Paul talks about the mind, right, how do those two go together? And I think there's probably a whole sermon on how the heart and the mind go together. It could maybe be an entire sermon series. But I want us to look at the Greek word in the scripture for transformation. The Greek word here is anakinosis, probably not pronouncing that right, but it can mean two things, renewal or a change of heart. So when we read the scripture that says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it could also read to be transformed by the change of heart and mind. And I really love Eugene Peterson and the way he writes this verse in the message version of the Bible. Every so often he's got a great translation and I think this is one of them. Peterson writes, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity within you. Peterson's words, I think we can think of them this way. Some modern-day examples, and I'm not passing judgment on anyone with these examples if you fall into a category, um, because there's a couple that I fall into. But maybe you've missed a few Sundays, right? Your child has a sporting event or a dance recital, or maybe you're on vacation, and then the next thing you know, you've missed a couple of months of church. And then the only time that Josh or Aaron, Tim, uh, any of your staff members see you is Christmas and Easter. Maybe you play video games. Maybe you play some kind of multiplayer game where you can interact with folks online. I do that. And maybe make some friends and start to play with them every day. And then you start to notice that you say a few more curse words than what you used to. And you're not even sure how that happened until you remember that your friends you play with don't have the cleanest mouths. And I know because I play with some of them. Maybe you watch a few YouTube videos. You see one that's got the title, Everyone's Opinion Matters. Their truth is the truth. And then you're in a conversation with a friend and you find yourself going against some basic biblical truths that we read in scripture. And then you're not even sure how you got there. Well, as Eugene Peterson says, that's us becoming so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even realizing. And that's what the world wants from you, right? The world doesn't want heart transformation from you. They want you to be just like them. And unlike the days of old, us as Christians are a very outnumbered group nowadays. Whether it's atheist or whether it's agnostic, we're no longer in the uh, majority. So if you think that fighting against nonconformity is going to get any easier moving forward, you're probably wrong. It's going to get hard. And Paul knew this when he was writing, right? It's why the Spirit spoke these words through him. And we have to remember that none of this world that we live in is a surprise to God. The world back then wasn't, the world today isn't, and what the world's going to be when we're gone is not a surprise to God. But I think we often forget that sometimes. And we find ourselves trying not to conform, and we just need to remember that God knows what's happening and is the source that we can lean on through his word and the scriptures to keep ourselves from transforming, from not transforming our heart and from being conformed, or from conforming to the world. See, Paul knew letting ourselves conform to culture was an easy thing to do. He knew that saying no to the culture around us was hard. That's why when I was digging into scripture and I'm praying to God, I'm like, God, how can I fight against this conformity? How can I have the heart transformation that you want for me in my life? A couple of passages came up of ways that God showed me that we could prevent ourselves from conforming to the patterns of the world. And the first again comes from Paul, 
we look at a verse like Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul writing, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See, when we're set apart for God, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need to live like it. And it's important that we walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. That's with humility, that's with gentleness, that's with patience, and that's with love. And as someone who struggles with patience, there's a lot to learn there. And as someone who's driven around Durham a time or two, some of you and your friends deal with patience too. I see it on the road every day. It's no different where we are. We need to hold fast to the unity that God gives us through the Spirit. And we need to strive to live each day in a way that honors our Lord. And that we'll be able to bring glory and honor to his name. Are we living in such a manner? That's the big question. How can we expect heart change if we're not willing to do the things that it takes to get the outcome that we want? Do you remember those gas station donuts I talked about a little bit earlier? Well, those donuts and my lack of effort in the gym are keeping me from being the slender version of myself that I sometimes wish I could be. Do you have, uh, I call it the donut dilemma. Does anyone have that? Where you like cake and donuts and cookies and candy and pies way more than you like that slender version of yourself? That's me, right? I think Josh is a little bit that way, right? We're foodies. <laughs> Not calling Josh fat, I promise. He's actually working a lot harder than I am to get into shape. But we love food but we have to do what it takes to get that slender bod maybe that we're looking for. Now it's not easy, right? Anyone who's tried to lose weight, you know it's not easy. But the equation to lose weight is simple. Calories in versus calories out. Anybody who knows anything about fitness, the work you put in will lead to the result that you're looking for, right? The harder you work out, the more weight you'll probably lose because you'll burn those calories. So the, the more donuts I put in, the more I need to be in the gym working out. And that just doesn't happen. But our lives, right, they're no different. The work must be put in for us to live in humility, to live with gentleness and patience and love. Otherwise, don't expect that heart change. But if you're willing to put the work in, God's willing to do big things in your life. And the second way that God showed me that we could fight against conformity and, that, and, and have that true transformation of heart is to be careful who we have surrounded ourselves with, both the people and the culture. I used to speak to our teenagers all the time when I was on staff at Bethel. The people we hang out with matter. The culture we surround ourselves with matters. And it's those close friends and family that we find ourselves interacting with the most that can really set us up for success 
when it comes to preventing us from conforming to the world. Having this inner circle of people that we trust so deeply can keep us from getting so well adjusted to culture that we don't even realize that we're fitting into it. Do you have any 2 a.m. friends? Does anybody know what that term means, 2 a.m. friends? I don't even know where Anne and I picked this term up. But these are the friends in your life that you can trust for anything. They will do anything for you, even open their home up at 2 a.m. in the morning if you need something. We've got a few of those friends. See, those are the kinds of people that you want to share life with. They're the ones that should be willing and able to hold you accountable when they see you start to get off that straight and narrow path. See, there's a great example of 2 a.m. friends in scripture. And it comes up in a couple of the gospels, a few of them actually, but in the gospel of Luke, he writes about the man who's paralyzed and his friends bringing him to Jesus to get healed. And I'm gonna paraphrase this. So the friends have to go find Jesus, who knows how far they had to walk, to find what house he was at, figures out that he's not in a spot they can get to him. There's too many people around him. So they go back, they get their friend, and they decide they're going to get to Jesus anyways. So what they end up doing is they climb up on the roof. The roofs back then were probably made of red clay. If you've ever tried to dig in red clay, you, can, you know exactly how hard that stuff is. That's why they used it. But they decide that they're going to dig through this red clay roof and find a way to get their paralyzed friend up on the roof and lower him down in front of Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. And right when he gets lowered, right in front of Jesus, who's teaching in front of all these folks, Jesus says this, because of their faith, now he's talking about the man's friends, young man, your sins are forgiven. Because of their faith, young man, your sins are forgiven. And the man's healed. How many of you would be in a world of hurt if your forgiveness depended on the faith of your friends? Now, that's not the point that Luke was making here. But the friends we hang out with matter. Tremendously matter. And it's those moments of regular fellowship in our lives with those 2 a.m. type friends that is vitally important to our future success in life. That's why I love that one of the values here at Keystone is circles, not rows, right? These connect groups are so vitally important to your Christian walk because you're living life with friends that you can trust. And that will help lead you to this path of heart transformation. And so you should be able to lean into your connect leaders. You should be able to lead into other members of your connect groups. You should be able to know that those are people who can, you can trust and that can help you navigate everyday life. Some of your connect group leaders are much better than others. But I'm not going to say which ones are the best. As Munger in this book 
My Heart Christ Home talks about. He talks about the dining room as the place where our desires and our appetites live, right? That's the place where we decide what we want to take in. That's music. That's TV, right? That's the conversations we have. That's the articles we read, the news outlet we watch. That's all the things that we take in, the social media that we consume. And it's those appetites and desires that sometimes, if we're not careful, can lead us astray. Now, what Munger isn't talking about when he says appetites and desires is the ridiculous amounts of food that the Churchills have at their connect group. That's not the type of appetite or desire that he's talking about. What he's talking about are the things that we seek out, right? And again, that's why those 2 a.m. friends are so important because they also help shape those appetites and desires that we have in our lives. So find a way to connect with some of these 2 a.m. friends. That could be a Friday morning breakfast with some guys here from Keystone before you head off to work if you're a morning person. Ladies, maybe you find a way to get together for like a book club. Uh, Anne's a part of one of those and they have a glass of wine and sometimes maybe talk about the book. I don't know. Um, Maybe it's with your connect groups. Maybe it's the praise team doing things, the youth doing things together. Folks who serve on the AV team could do things together. There's no limit to where you can find your 2 a.m. friends. I just know that Keystone has a lot of great places for you to find some of them. So those two things stuck out to me. God stuck those out to me as ways that we can prevent ourselves from conforming to culture. Right? We need to be careful who we do life with and the things that we surround ourselves with in life. So my challenge to you this week, it's to begin to identify some 2 a.m. friends. If you've got 2 a.m. friends, wonderful. Keep them, cherish them, work on those relationships. But if you don't have friends like that that you feel like you can trust, work hard to find those people in your life. And then let's make sure that we and those friends are living in a way like it says to in Ephesians 3, just like we read from Paul. And we need to be sure that that culture we surround ourselves with is one that's good and pleasing to God the Father. And we just need to ask the Spirit to guide us, God to guide us through life. Right, to show us the next steps, to show us where he wants to go, for him to direct our every move. Because what will happen is we'll find ourselves not conforming to the patterns of the world, and we'll be able to live that life that's set apart for God. Whether it's those friends, those cultures, living in the way of Ephesians 3, we can prevent ourselves from fitting into this mold of culture. And we can set our hearts up for the success that we're so looking for so that we can live our life on fire for the Lord. Let's pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, 
Your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.